Hi, it's Tim Hagen from Progress Coaching, and welcome to another episode for the Coaching Conversations podcast. Now, we are on Stitcher, we are on iTunes, and multiple different channels. Please check us out. Now, one of the things that you'll get out of our podcast episodes is a lot of content, a lot of strategy. It's not fluff, it's not concept. Yet we really want you to engage with the content and let us know your feedback. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. If there's topics you'd love to have us address, we would love to share them with you. Let us know your impact and let us know your feedback. The sales world is really changing. Not only for myself, but every industry is changing. We have clients in credit unions, banks, professional sports teams, agricultural, financial services, you name it. We've really got a wide spectrum of clients, and they are all going through a major change, interacting with prospects, interacting with established customers. All of these things are changing. I heard a sales rep earlier this year, and I think it was around May or June, and he said, I can't wait till we get back to the old ways. Now, recently, I read a great report by McKinsey talking about how customers now want to purchase things more on demand. And they're actually liking the virtual selling and the virtual buying. Now, on the flip side of it, I heard from the VP of sales who said, you know, it's been a tough year. We're kind of holding our own. He said, but I've noticed something. I said, what's that? He said, honestly, I'm noticing a difference in my people. And I said, in what way? He said, Quite frankly, we don't have travel time. We don't have expenses for cars. We're more efficient. We're actually talking to more people than we ever have. Talk to another client that we're actually working with in this vein, and that is, how do we use webcast to communicate our sales proposition? How do we use thought leadership and podcasting? And they're actually doing it. They started in April. They've never done it before. And it's garnered them sales. So the sales world is blowing up. Now, another client actually said, we're a very visual company. We have to be on site. We have to show them what we're talking about. So we're working with this client taking a video-based tool, taking images, and teaching their sales staff how to annotate and how to literally do an audio voiceover speaking as if they were there. They're noticing a huge difference. Now, why did I do this podcast? I don't want to turn this into a sales presentation or a sales pitch, yet the world is changing. Now, here's the really cool thing. Over the past week, I was up at my cabin and I had a long drive. It takes about five hours to get there. And I love Audible. And so I'm listening to a book by a PhD in industrial psychology, Tasha Yurik. I just love it. It's dry. I think she does an awesome job of explaining the lack of awareness that we all have. And it got me thinking about sales teams. Now I'm going to make a bold comment. Some of you might be offended. Some of you may not, but I'm going to make it anyways. The fact of the matter is in Tasha Yurik's research, when asking people if they were aware or highly self-aware, 95% of the people in her study said, yes, They're highly self-aware or self-aware. 95%. Through her research, she really found out only 10 to 15% were. That means 80 to 
to 85% of people are lacking self-awareness. Now, we've taught this at Progress Coaching for 26 years. Coaching is a two-step process. One, it's getting people to look in the mirror. Two, it's getting them to take action on number one. Yet, very few people do number one well or arbitrarily on their own. Why? Because we don't want to become self-aware. So let me use a little humor to further broaden my perspective and hopefully illustrate a point of tremendous, tremendous opportunity. When you go up to a salesperson and you say to a salesperson, Charlie, you had a great year. Why? What do you attribute your success to? Guaranteed, nine times out of 10, a sales rep will say, well, I did this, I did this, and I did this. Yet you go up to the same sales rep a year later and say, Charlie, you had kind of a down year. What happened? Inevitably, they start talking about things outside of themselves. Well, you know, the marketing department didn't do X, Y, Z, and our customer service staff, we were kind of shortchanged, and, you know, we were struggling with inventory. Rarely, this is a little bit of humor, if you get offended, turn off the podcast. Rarely will you hear a rep say, you know, I really lost my way. I was asking a lot of close-ended questions. I don't negotiate very well, and I have to be really candid. I am terrified of closing because I don't want to come off as that, you know, used car salesman who's being too aggressive. Now, maybe some of you are laughing. Here's the funny thing, though. Isn't it kind of true? Every year, I used to purchase a study by a company called CSO Insights. The stats have not changed. The research has not changed. Roughly 48 to 52% of people do not hit their quota in the selling industry. Yet, when you ask a salesperson, you going to have a good year? Well, yeah, of course I am. Rarely, if ever, will you have someone say, I'm nervous. I, I feel like my skill set's not there. I don't really have the product knowledge I should to be successful. I could really use some assistance. Now, what's at the foundation of this? I think Tasha Yurik's work is brilliant. And I think where a lack of self-awareness comes in, especially with salespeople, is the following. We want salespeople with tough egos. We're in a business, present company included, where inherently rejection is there. Sometimes weekly, sometimes each and every day. Yet it's that very ego that can block our path to self-awareness so we can continue to learn. Let me give you a great story. I'm working with a sales rep, an industry expert. And he said to me, I absolutely hate selling virtually. Hate it. So I got a book for him uh, by Jeb Blunt called Virtual Selling. Great book, by the way. And I said, just, just read it. Just explore it. I don't want you to change. So what I didn't want to do is have him feel more change, especially during a pandemic crisis. There's been enough change, right? So over time, he was telling me, I'm a very visual. I'd like to demonstrate. I'd like to show things. I like to be in front of the customer. And after about four statements, I used something called reflective coaching. I said, I'm going to give you a thought and I'm going to give you a perspective. And I'd like your permission to really challenge you. 
And then we're going to take a 10 minute break so you don't yell and scream at me. He starts laughing. I said, one of the things that you continually message to me and say to me is what you want to do. I want to share something with you. You're talking about what you like to do and what's comfortable for you and how you like to sell. But research is coming out showing that the buyer likes to buy virtually. They like the fact that they don't have to entertain sales reps. They like the fact that they can buy things on demand. So your wish, your desire is at a crossroads with how people want to buy. So let's stop there. Let's come back in about 15 minutes after you're done getting angry with me. And he smiled and he laughed and we came back. He said, boy, that, that's got me thinking. I said, that's kind of the objective. I said, I don't want you to change. I get it. I totally understand. Now, my company has been virtual, really virtual for about seven or eight years. So this transition has been much easier for me than it was for him. So I could empathize. Now, when you're an in-person relationship salesperson, you know, and I think about the agricultural world, it's all about relationships. A lot of people in the ag world still work on farms. This is a brotherhood. This is a sisterhood. This is people who really respect and support one another. Not every industry is like that. All of a sudden now, we're selling virtually. So it begs the question, what are the opportunities? I'm going to make one of the boldest comments I can ever make. For years, I've owned this company 26 years. I'd say about 18, 19 years ago, I completely stopped doing sales training and customer service training. I am a proponent. I am an advocate. I'm absolutely passionate that that coaching and training has to come directly from the company, but more importantly, from their direct manager or a coach within the organization. An outsider really never has the traction or the leverage points. We're viewed as an outsider. And the reason I wanted to get out of sales training, I was just sick and tired of people pushing back, lacking self-awareness, and literally almost every client I did sales training with always said, have you ever worked in our industry? Your industry is not unique to the sales process. Your industry is not so unique that the fundamental elements and aspects of sales are not needed. So I'm going to tell you a great story. Years ago, we were at a recreational boating company. And this was the event where I decided to quit sales training. I'm on a stage, I'd say about 100 sales reps. And this person that was leading the sales organization led off the sales meeting and absolutely did a terrible job. Started talking about how their numbers were lacking, were in trouble, and, you know, this isn't a joke. And I was stunned. So he flew everybody out to Las Vegas to do two days of meetings and training. And he had people calling from their cell phones. I was stunned at the financial decision and then to have the audacity to get in front of your whole sales organization and tell them why they're not hitting their numbers, why it's discouraging, why we're in trouble. But he was spending a ton of money. I was shocked. Then I got up on the stage and I had to talk about sales training, needs-based selling, get to know your customer. So I do my bit. 
We go into breakouts and we're going to practice. Now, before I get into the end of the story, let me share this with you. If your salespeople are not practicing, they are not getting better. Let me say it again. If your salespeople are not practicing, they are not getting better. People do not arbitrarily improve. And I will tell you, every single time I taught sales training and I talked about questioning skills, I got it every single time. The rolling of the eyes. I hate role playing. Guess what? If your competition is practicing and you're not, they will have an edge. So we get into the sessions and the number two guy in the company stands up, disrupts the practice sessions and says, you know, I really don't think that this is suffice for what we need to do as a company. I was shocked. I've never had someone do this. Quickly, I was told that he was number two in the company. So there was ego involved. And I said, well, why do you feel that? He said, I have the best product on the market. I said, awesome. So walk me through how you sell. We're talking about sales fundamentals. We're talking about open-ended questions, handling objections, negotiation skills. Why are those things not as important as what you just said? He said, we have the number one product on the market. I said, well, doesn't the competition say the same thing? He said, sure, but I can prove it. I said, okay. What if you don't prove it to somebody? Here it comes. I'm lifting the curtain. One of the directors later told me, he said, I am so happy you were willing to do what I'm about to share with you. And I said, so when someone doesn't believe you or agree with you, what do you do? He said, I tell him, I'm going to go right across the street and put my product in with your competitor. They were selling through dealers and retail outlets and will become your competition. I said, would you mind if I paraphrase back what I heard? He said, sure. I said, so you, to a certain extent, say, join me or fight me. He said, absolutely. I said, now you're convinced, absolutely convinced that you have the best product in the market. He said, yep, we've won a ton of awards and I make sure everybody understands that. I said, so your competition like Mercury Marine, Suzuki, Yamaha, have they given up? Did they quit? And a couple directors caught my eye and they started smiling. The sales rep, number two in the company, did not get it. He said, I don't understand your question. And I said, well, let's say you have the best product. And I do believe we have the best product. Wouldn't you agree that those three or four competitors are in their R&D centers figuring out how to compete with that product? He said, sure. I said, so now you're going to go back to the dealers that you've sold and potentially were rejected with. And a competitive product, an equal product, a perceived as good product comes from your competition. What if I were to tell you that some of those people are just waiting for the opportunity to stick it to you? People in the audience started to laugh. I did not want that because I didn't want it to do it, you know, perception-wise at his expense. And he said, well... Yeah, you make a good point. So he was fairly amenable. So we go back to the practice. He could not role play. He could not practice. He could not ask open-ended questions. By the way, let me repeat. Number two in the company. Number two. Six months later, he leaves the organization for a variety of reasons I I never really knew because I wasn't working with this department intimately. 
And the gentleman from the practice session who was new to sales, was from service, had worked in this organization, had always thought about going into a sales career. And the funny thing about service people, when you fix things, what do you have to do? You have to ask a lot of questions. When did, when did it break? What broke? What did it sound like? You do a discovery. So this young guy by the name of Craig was fantastic. I went to his manager and I said, I think you have a diamond in the rough. Here's the irony of the story. He ends up, he ends up taking over the number two person's territory. Are you ready? He quadruples the sales. So on paper, the number two guy was, oh my gosh, he's a great salesperson. No, he was not. He was a guy threatening people and using leverage and muscle. So when I hear sales leaders say, well, it's all about the numbers. No, it's not. It's about developing the people who can produce numbers for you consistently and thoughtfully. Now, let's come back to present day opportunity. There are tools out there. I think one of the best tools out there is a platform called Alego. Alego is a video-based sales coaching platform that allows you to get feedback, allows you to practice. It has internal rating tools. It is fantastic. I've done a number of webinars and I have seen their platform. Number two, there are plugins to Zoom. There are plugins to Zoom like Kronos and um, other tools that allow you to record and do a transcription. Let me give you another hint. Do an experiment. Have people practice. And you know what's funny? I just did this with a company. And you know what the sales reps complained about? Well, I don't think you understand. We're not used to selling this way. I said to one guy, I said, okay. And he goes, why are you smiling? He goes, I think I know what's coming, but I'm not sure exactly what. And we started laughing. I go, so why don't you just get on a plane and go sell the way you normally do? Well, our customers aren't letting us on site. So I smiled at him. He goes, yeah, good point. I got to get better at this. And I go, me too. We all do. So ego can block our learning opportunities. Yet, if you facilitate virtual practice sessions, try this on. Count the number of open-ended questions versus close-ended. Count the number of times they deliver features when they should be delivering benefits. Count the number of times they interrupt the customer versus demonstrate active listening by paraphrasing back to them their specific set of needs. Here's the really cool thing. We're doing this with a company that was actually hitting their numbers during the pandemic crisis. The VP calls me and goes, my God, we don't even know what we're selling. I said, why are you so upset? Aren't you hitting your numbers? So I'm kind of acting like a hypocrite now, assuming. He said, I don't know how we're hitting our numbers. We don't even know what our products do. And he set up practice sessions with his people, delivering benefits, teaching the benefits, practicing objections. It has become a part of the fiber of their organization. They are hitting their numbers. Their industry has been decimated by the pandemic crisis. So this podcast is about something really important. Sales is changing. Number two, leaders, you have to coach to that change. You have to define the change. Three, you have to practice. When you're done practicing, practice again. When you're done with that second round of practice, 
Practice again. And you know why that is so valuable? Because they're not in planes. They're not in cars. They're not turning in mileage bills. There is an open time slot. I guarantee you on each and every person's calendar to practice with a peer. Those who practice get better. Those who practice have greater comfort. Those who practice have greater confidence. And when we practice, because we're in this new video world, we get to record it. And here's my last statement. We get to deal with reality. I am a salesperson. Yes, I own my own company. Yet, I am a salesperson. And I look back in the mirror, even during this tenure of this company, and when I lose a deal, I go, wow, that customer, and I distance myself. No, maybe I was talking too much. It's something I'm getting better at. Maybe I forgot to practice what I preach, which is demonstrating active listening. Maybe I never handled that objection and I got off the road and started dealing with something else. All of those things prompt us to do what? Lose sight, lose our opportunity to deal with reality. So I go back to the book by Tasha Yurok. 80 to 85% of people think they're self-aware when they're not. Salespeople can sell during tough times. Salespeople can practice so they can get better during tough times. Those who get better during tough times come out in the back end when things get better a lot more fluently than those who don't. I hope this has helped. Thank you for listening to another episode of Coaching Conversations by Tim Hagen and Progress Coaching. Now, our company is always coming out with new and innovative solutions to help leaders coach their employees. And recently, we just created a new service called coach to You, where leaders can pick and choose topics and assign 7- to 21-day programs for employees to learn and, more importantly, apply actions and then reflect and share what they're going to do going forward as a result of the learning. It's called coach to You. We're literally bringing coaching to your employees. If you're intrigued, we'll have a link in each one of our episodes where you can get more information. And again, thank you so much for listening to another episode.